I want to start the, uh, this morning's uh, message. We're going to continue uh, in the mission. I think believe this is about part eight uh, of the mission. I want to start with this statement. Okay, could you put that first statement up on the screen? Thinking outside the box is critical for living in, in the kingdom, uh, especially as it pertains to this week's message. I, I want you to try to remember that kind of phrase, thinking outside the box, because it's going to require that we all have the mind of Christ this morning uh, in terms of this subject that we're going to look at. We're going to look at one of the other statement, mission statements that Jesus made. One of the reasons why Jesus was considered to be a radical was because his thoughts, his thinking, his teaching, his very life itself was lived outside the box. And, of course, that makes absolute sense because, you know, uh, the word says that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so higher are his ways than our ways. So in order for us to really tap into the heart of God and the mind of God for us, we need uh, to, break, to break out of the, 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 the status quo. We need to break out of the, the norm and uh, to approach the thoughts of God in a way that I believe is going to probably, in some ways, uh, just kind of startle us. Uh, I think that the statement that Jesus made uh, in his mission statement startled the disciples. They probably thought, this is not what we're used to. This is not what we were expecting. This is, this, th- th- this is other than, different than the expectation that we had for the Messiah, the Prince of Israel. And, and, and it must have really kind of thrown them for a loop. A um, number of years ago, probably when uh, my grandson Liam was, and he's, how old is he, seven years old now? So maybe he was just an infant. Kathy and I were <clears throat> visiting Will and, and Carrie, my son and daughter-in-law, in Virginia, and uh, they wanted to take us out to a nice Chinese restaurant. Uh, and so we, we went to this very, you know, upscale Chinese restaurant, and it was the atmosphere was like really uh, wonderful, you know. But I, I thought to myself as I sat at the table and I observed, there's no salt shaker on the table. For a guy who loves salt, I said to myself, this is not going to be a good experience, you know. When I asked the waiter for salt, they said, we don't serve salt, you know. Uh, so, so as I'm looking over the menu, my son Will orders this like head of lettuce, and uh, they bring over this filling that you put inside the, 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 this, this leaf of letters, and, and he started eating it. And I'm looking, there's no numbers, you know, there's no combinations on the menu. And I'm saying to myself, this is, this is, this is not going to be good. And out blurted out of my mouth, as so often does, I said, this is not what I'm used to, you know. And it kind of went over just like that, you know. There was silence for a moment, and then there was kind of laughter, like, this is not what I'm used to? You know, like, what kind of statement is that? You know? And uh, that, that restaurant we, was great, great food. It was P.F. Chang's. It was the first time we ever went to P.F. Chang's. There's a P.F. Chang's in uh, Nassau County we've been to a number of times. G- good food. Bring your own salt, you know. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, my kids have never let me forget that statement. In fact, every once in a while, you know, when something comes up, you know, here comes, they'll say, this is not what I'm used to, Dad, you know, and so, and so they, they never let me forget it. But I think that was the exact kind of sentiment and thoughts that was running through the minds of the disciples when Jesus made this mission statement. And while, it's, and while it's a statement that you're probably familiar with, you've probably heard, or you've probably read yourself through the Gospels, one of the problems is that familiarity is kind of an obstacle that we need to overcome because we're familiar with this statement. I'm telling you that those who heard this statement made by Jesus for the first time were absolutely flawed because it was not what they expected. Not what you would expect from the Messiah, the Prince, the King of Israel. Here's the statement. He said, think not that the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom He came to serve. We're talking about the king of the cosmos. We're talking about the one by whom all things were created. He did not come as a celestial or heavenly celebrity. He didn't come as a rock star wanting to be venerated and wanting to be, you know, treated with with pampering and, and, and with all kinds of comfort. He did not come in, in what would be customary uh, treatment of a king or a noble of his stature. Remember, the Israelites, they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a king, and, and, and Samuel was grieved over the fact, and God says, all right, let them have it. They wanted to be like the world, and, and, and God has called us to be... To be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that requires that we think outside the box. Here is, here is the creator himself, the God slash man who has come, not wanting to be served, but to serve. I don't know if this, I, I wish that we could hear this with virgin ears this morning. I wish that we could hear this sentiment of Jesus as though we had never heard it before. Because I think it would shock us in the same way that it shocked the disciples. That here is the greatest person in human history, of all history, of the cosmos, who has come not to be served but to serve. And to give his life. We, we, we all know what the, what the Deavers and the rock stars and the Donalds and, and you know, the power movers and shakers of this world. They all want to be waited upon hand and foot. And for them, the, that becomes their normal expectation. That they be treated with the red carpet, right? But here is one who has come among us. Who has come in order to serve. There are a number of pictures of Jesus, portraits, if you will, of the coming Messiah. The the people of, of, of Israel were shut up 750 years to some of these prophecies that they should have known that this would be the nature of the Messiah. This would be the... 
the, the character of, of the coming king of Israel. But it kind of just went right over their heads because they were thinking inside the box and their thoughts were also so common and so status quo. Some of the best portraits of Jesus are found in the book of Isaiah. And I could just look at a couple this morning. But, but look at Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Here's what God calls his servant son prophetically. Behold, he says, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. We could hear the echo of the father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Here is the kind of ministry that he will have. He will not cry aloud nor lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. How many times did Jesus bring ministering life and healing to someone and then say, don't tell anybody about it. Don't make it known. To Jairus' daughter, after he raises her from the dead, he says, give her something to eat. Just infuse into this experience what would just be a part of the natural day. Jesus did not blow his own trumpet or make a big deal of his ministry. A bruised reed he'll not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Speaks about the tenderness of Jesus. That he looked at the people and had compassion because they were sheep not having a shepherd. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint nor discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. This perfectly describes the ministry of Jesus. In fact, Matthew in chapter 12 quotes this very verse from the book of Isaiah and says, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is the ministry of Jesus, tenderhearted, giving, loving, serving, tirelessly serving the needs of the people. There are other pictures, other portraits in the scrolls of Isaiah that I, I cannot go to this morning, but you can on your own as you search through the servant of Yahweh. But maybe one of the most profound and maybe the one of the most powerful is found in Isaiah 52 and 53, really, which is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, should have been one chapter. Here's just a sampling of it. Isaiah 52, again, we're called upon to behold God's servant. Behold my servant, that is to gaze, to consider, to muse over this one who is a servant king. He shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of men. It speaks about it speaks about what happened to him at the cross as God laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that he became sin for us. And in that disfigurement, as he drank the cup of the wrath of God, he was not even recognizable as being human anymore. It says, so he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they shall understand the gospel. And it leads us into the greatest maybe chapter of the whole Bible, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. We esteemed him 
to be stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We counted him as being cursed, but the Lord it was pleased to bruise him to make his soul an offering for sin. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of the peace that, that, that we so desire was upon him and with his bleeding stripes. We heal this portrait of the suffering, this portrait of the humble, this portrait of the King of kings and Lord of lords can, can only be thought outside the box. Who would have thunk it? Who would have ever imagined that God himself would come garbed in such humility and in such simplicity as one who serves among us? The question this morning I want to ask is, what is servanthood? What does it mean to be a servant? You know, and I think it's an important question because in our culture today, we've lost the, the very definition of what it means to become a servant. Our culture is so far from an understanding, a comprehension. In his book, The Jesus Style, G. Irwin describes servanthood in this way. Listen to it. He says, a servant's job is to do all that he can to make life better for others. Doesn't that describe Jesus? who's come that we might have life and have it more abundantly, to free them to be everything that they can be. Oh, it was for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. He says a servant's first interest is not in himself but others. Servanthood is a loving choice we make to minister to serve others. And that describes the ministry of Jesus perfectly. He did not please himself, Romans 15 says. But he pleased the one who sent him. Jesus was tireless as he ministered to people to the point where he said, he said to his disciples, let's come apart lest we come apart. And even then, he could not be hidden, but people came after him. Now, in the New Testament, Paul gives us the theology behind this. He takes, us, he takes us in a theological way behind the veil and gives us a glimpse of the one who spoke the world into existence and what it meant for him in a theological sense to become the servant king. Listen to what Paul says. And writing to the Philippians, he says, your attitude, this mind should also be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be retained, something as a right to insist upon, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in humble likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Death on the cross. And all that that means and the volumes that we could speak about, what that means. It, it's not just the manner in which he died. It was the agony in which he was separated from God. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. It goes on to say that at 
the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's a day coming. I can't wait for that day. There's a day coming. I cannot wait for that day when before an assembled universe of, of resurrected spirits and resurrected men and women and before angels, everyone in this world will know, everyone that has ever existed will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Their knees shall bow and their tongues shall confess. What a day that will be. This is epic, you know? There, there, there's, a, there's a scene in, in the movie, uh, The Gladiator, that I always love, that Maximus takes his sword and throws it up into the crowd and says, are you not impressed? You know, it's moments like this as a preacher, I say, are you not impressed that he became clothed in garments of a slave? The Son of Man gave himself so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, if you've ever watched any of the Mission Impossible movies or, or going back to the TV show, you know, there, there, there was a, there's, a point, there, there's a point in the beginning of the story when, you know, the mission is laid out before them, whether it's on a tape recorder or, you know, however, however it is that the mission, the impossible mission is laid out before them. And then they're given, they're given the choice. They're given the choice, and, and, and the choice is this. If you are willing to act, there would never was a reluctance on the part of Jesus. From all eternity, Jesus was, was the one sent from before the foundation of the world out of love motivated, that lest we should perish. Paul gives us the theology behind the veil, but John gives us the act that leaves us speechless. Paul gives, I thank God for Paul, that he, get, he gives us the, the reasoning behind God not wanting to grasp his, his dignity or his deity as something to be retained. I'm so glad for that. But John, John, the beloved apostle, gives us an act that leaves us speechless that we could never forget because, listen, because servanthood is, is, is not something that is taught. It's something that is caught. And if you can catch the vision this morning of what it means to become great in the kingdom of God, you'll understand a little bit, of, a little bit more about about Jesus himself. Because under the shadow, looming over them, the night that Jesus was arrested, the cross is right there. The cup that Jesus was about to drink is right there. And the disciples are on another page altogether. They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Which one of them deserves the greatest honors, deserves the greatest position in the government of Jesus. And they're arguing about that. You know, I can just imagine Peter saying, none of you guys got out of the boat. At least I walked on water for a while, you know. Certainly I should be considered the greatest among us. And, and, and all the others, you know, probably giving their, you know, two cents, their reasons why they should be counted as being great in the kingdom. And you would think, you, you would think that Jesus would be just disgusted with them for being so, so 
fleshly and carnal as to argue about which one is the greatest, but with infinite patience, infinite patience, he takes this opportunity to impress upon them the nature of his kingdom. It is not a kingdom that is of this world. For the, You have to think outside the box. Listen, Jesus said this to them. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over their subjects, but it will not be so in my kingdom. Whoever would be great among you, let him become your servant. And whoever wants to be first, a first position, Nearest to me, let him become your slave. Talk about thinking outside the box. This is, this is time's infinity. But if you, miss, if you miss the theology, then you will never forget the example. Because John tells us that at that moment, Jesus stripped his outer garment, took off his robe, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, a basin with water, knelt down, and before each of his disciples began to go from one to the other, washing toes and ankles and feet, and he went to the next one and he began to wash toes and ankle and feet, the dust and the dirt of the street he was washing. Here is God, man, who has bowed down. Who could have thought this? Who, who could have imagined that he would so humble himself, the creator of the universe, and wash dirty feet? I think Jesus cured them that night of talking about which one of them is the greatest. I don't think he came up again. I think that what Jesus imparted to them, what they caught from him, was that this is truly greatness. This is what God highly esteems. This is what God values more than anything else. But why should we be so surprised? It, it, it only seems natural for us to serve the ones that we love, for husbands to serve their wives, for wives to serve their husbands and children. Listen, if you're a parent, you know all about serving. Because from the moment of conception... A mother begins to serve that unborn child and protect that unborn child. And then when they come out, you change poopy diapers and you feed. Then you put the food in and it comes back out. And you put the food in and it comes back out. You remember what it was like when they were infants? It seemed that sometimes I remember feeding Kelly. I mean, it seemed that, that, that more came out than went in, you know. And I don't know how that works, but... And then there's like 10,000 other things that you do for your kids. And no matter how old they, they, they become or how old you are, they're still your baby and you're still doing for them and you're still serving them. And when they're sick at night, you stay up because you're serving them. But, but that's easy because those are the ones you love. And Jesus calls us to, to be way beyond even the publicans who, who love their own, and that is to love our enemies, to do good to those that despitefully use us in abuse. This is, this is thinking outside the box. This is living outside the box. Because you can't do this on your own. You have to do this through the power of Christ that strengthens you. 
John 13, 12, it says that when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. You should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth that no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, happy and blessed if you do them. Please notice, it's not enough to know it. The blessing comes, the joy comes when you begin to do it. When you begin to serve one another with a fervent heart. This is how the mission of Jesus affects us. Because as Jesus was in the world, so are we in the world. Jesus said, as the Father had sent me, even so send I you. He has sent us to serve this world. To not be a part of it, to not be conformed to it, but to to serve it. Some of you probably have heard of a famous violinist by the name of Paganini. Paganini, before he died, willed his, 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 his priceless violin to the city of Genoa on one condition, that no one was to ever play it again. And so it was set aside. And that precious violin because it was set aside, began to turn to wormwood and began to rot. And is good today only for that which is a relic. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You weren't created to become a relic, to be useless, to be set aside. You were created for this purpose, that you would display the glory of God by serving And there's a balance here, beloved. The the, the balance is that we enjoy sonship and and being the children of God, but that we also understand the responsibility of being the servants of God. And there's no greater calling. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark describes how Christianity, from a small sect of, of, of individuals, made such an impact upon the Roman Empire that within the first couple of centuries, literally hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. And he he cites two different uh, epidemics that took place throughout the Roman Empire. And what would happen was that when people got sick, if they were cared for, they, they, they would usually be able to survive. But what would happen was that even family members of people who became sick would be abandoned by their families. They would, they, they, they would go to cities that were unaffected by the epidemic, and they would be forsaken and left to die. But the Christians refused to leave their family members, and they cared for them. But not only did they care for their own loved ones, but they began to care for the people who were forsaken by, by their family. And as a result of that, this is, what, this is what Stark writes. He says, he points out that their willingness of believers to suffer in order to care for the sick had a tremendous impact upon the numbers of people coming into the kingdom of God. That's some of the things that, that Doug was saying this morning as an announcement 
of wanting to serve a community, wanting to serve people, wanting to, 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 to become to them the hands of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. I want you to imagine for a minute, if this could be said of you, of you and your family, there's a family that the Apostle Paul highlights. He, he gives them the place of honor in his letter to the Corinthians. And, and I want to just read a couple of verses to you, put it in the context. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. This is his closing, his closing to this great letter to the Corinthians. He says, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. And then he points out this one particular family. I love this family. He says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Greece or Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I love the old King James. It says that they addicted themselves to the ministry or the service of the saints. Could you imagine being addicted to serving others? One translation says that they spent their lives in service to God's people. And therefore, Paul says, I urge you to take them as an example of those who you are to submit to those who serve out of devotion. Come on, we all, we all know you know, some famous name in Christianity. They want to be treated like rock stars. They want to be venerated and they want to be served rather than take upon the garments that Jesus took as one who serves among us. Because servanthood is a heart attitude. It's not an aptitude. It's something that is caught. And would to God this morning that we could catch the vision this morning of being called into his service. See, I don't think a book, if I wrote a book on becoming a servant, I don't think it would sell too many copies. I don't think that there's too many seminars or conferences out there on learning how to become a servant. Because it's not something that people get excited about. You know, tell me, t- tell me I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Tell me that, that, that I'm going to reign in life with Christ Jesus. Tell me that I have authority and power over unclean spirits and demonic powers. Tell me about stuff like that, and that excites me. But call me to become a servant. It's hard to get excited about that. Why? Because it runs so contrary to, to our nature. Because our nature cries out to be served rather than to serve. That's why it requires us to be thinking outside the box. See, can I say that this is near and dear to the heart of God? In fact, let me qualify that by saying this is the heart of God. You can't get closer to the heart of God than one who serves in fact, one of the parables that Jesus, it, it, theologically, I don't understand it. It blows my mind to think of it. But in one of the parables that Jesus spoke about, the faithful servant, he says that there is a day coming when, when the, the faithful servants who have served their master well will sit down at the table and he himself, the master, will come and serve them. That blows me away. You see, while we may not get excited about a message like this, what we, what we would become is wise if we would answer the call to become the servant of God because th- there is a day coming 
Just as there's a day coming when every knee shall bow and tongue confess, there's a day coming when all of us would want to hear Jesus say, with arms open wide, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful pastor, or good and faithful apostle, or, or, or just fill in the blank, but good and faithful servant. You've served me well. That's what it's about. Ravi Zacharias gives us an important insight that I wanted to share with you this morning, and it touches at the very theology of what I'm talking about this morning. Quote, he says, the image God has given to us of the Trinity is an image of three co-eternal, co-equal persons giving themselves to one another in eternal self-effacement. The glory of our God is not in the thunder and lightning quality, but a self-giving love within the Trinity. A self-giving love within the Trinity. Jesus' prayer for his disciples and us is that this same glory may be given to us that we may become one even as they are one. He concludes that by saying, is there any question why servanthood and relationship building is no longer an option for the Christian, but it is essential in reflecting the glory of the triune God. That's why I say that thinking outside the box is essential for kingdom living. If we're ever going to approach this, we've got to cast down thoughts that feed into the self-centered, egocentric lifestyle that we're also accustomed to in this, in this culture and in this society. That we break free. And, it, and if there's anyone who broke free from that, it was Jesus. So the mission this morning, if you are willing to accept, and we will not disavow our relationship with you, is are you willing to answer the call to become a servant of the Lord? To be Christ-like and to embrace the highest calling of all, which is the call to be a son, a daughter, and a servant. To live counterculture to this present age that is passing away. So here's my bottom line this morning, and it really comes in the form of a question that only you can answer. Will you embrace the call to become a servant? Will you embrace the call to become a servant. Start right where you are. If you're a husband, serve your wife. If you're a parent, serve your children. If you're a child, serve your parents. If you're a brother or sister, serve one another. Remember that definition? It is, it is to make much of someone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that the call of God is to become a servant. And I pray this morning that we will answer that call. 
that God Almighty, that you would just give us the wisdom to know that there is a day coming. I want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful diva, or well done, good and faithful rock star, but good and faithful servant. Give us the grace, Lord Jesus, to be all that we can be for the kingdom's sake. And we all sit together, amen.